Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Slash Filmcast, the official podcast of SlashFilm.com. I'm David Chen, and with me are... Devinder Hardwar. And Jeff Kanata. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, if you're just tuning in for the first time, what we're going to do here on this podcast today is talk about what we've been watching in the last week or so, uh, have a discussion about some news items, which you can find at SlashFilm.com, and then conclude with an in-depth review. This week, we'll be reviewing Martin Scorsese's newest film, Silence, starring Andrew Garfield and Adam Driver. Uh, and you can find more episodes of this podcast at SlashFilmCast.com. Email us at SlashFilmCast at gmail.com. Now, before we get to all those uh, festivities that I just mentioned, uh, we got to talk about the last episode that we recorded, and that was our top 10 episode of 2016. As I predicted, mm-hmm. it was, in fact, one of our most downloaded episodes of the year, uh, and at the same time as we were very psyched to release that episode, in the fog of war, mistakes can be made. You might not see things clearly as you would have liked, and... Uh, oh. We might have uh, made some mistakes. Might have made Dave. some errors. <laughs> I have lost sleep. I've lost sleep for the the <laughs> regrets that I have from that episode. All right, I, I, I'm, I'm serious. I've lost. I, I woke up in the middle of the night and realized that I didn't put on <laughs> one of my very favorite movies of the year. It completely slipped my mind. To which a friend said, "Well, if it slipped your mind, then it must not have been the favorite movie of the year." But it was a crazy time. I was moving. Yeah. There was all this yeah. chaos around. We had to compile our lists. I was going through all the movies that we saw, and I looked at our, at our list of episodes and looked at the movies that we saw. This wasn't an official reviewed movie, so I just forgot that it happened this year. Yeah, that's why you got to look at the what we've been watching show notes as well, Jeffrey. I know, uh, but because in every episode, a lot of people don't know this. In every episode, we list every single movie we talk about and what we've been watching on the show notes. Uh, so, Jeff, if you had just checked those, you know, you'd be uh, all yeah. set. I, I, I'm serious that it has, it has given me much consternation. Je- Jeff texted me. <laughs> Jeff texted me in a very frazzled state, saying, in the middle of the night, saying, yeah. "David, I need to replace something in the list." Now, at this point, <laughs> uh, I had spent four hours editing that episode of the podcast, like putting oh, in man. all the clips. By that point, I was just not willing to do any more work on that. You were not episode. having it from me. You were <laughs> I like, was just yeah, like, Jeff, "I'm done. I'm done." You made Jeff, your so. bed. Yeah. stick with it. Yep. But I have to say, uh, I, I would have put Captain Fantastic. Not only on my list, but probably in the number three spot. That's wow. how much I loved Captain Fantastic. That's how much that movie has stuck with me. I constantly think about it. Now everyone's going to laugh and say, oh, you constantly think about it, but you forgot to put it on your list. I really do. Th- that movie has changed the way I look at the world, especially in a year where I had my first child. It is so much about how you raise your kids. I would have put it at number three. And the interesting thing, guys – is that that doesn't mean my number 10 would have been d- dropped off the bottom of the list. Isn't that funny how when you constitute a top 10 list, it is your top 10 and you feel like movies should live in those spots. But when a new movie gets put in the list, it doesn't just like insert and then everything drops down one slot. You right. sort of – you compose a list like – uh, tracks like, on a on an album. Or yeah, something, think of it know? like mm-hmm. a symphony. You know, it's not yeah. just like you can just replace. Uh, like if you put one note, you just move all the rest of the notes down the line. You know, you're you're kind of like choosing the best mix of instruments and notes together. You know. Yes. Yes. Uh-huh. So, I, I I you know I don't know exactly how my list would would look, but I do know that it would have been number one 
Arrival, number two, Sing Street, and number three would have been Captain Fantastic for the year. And, and you know, the, the movies that I had on I still love and I'm still glad we talked about, but it really bothers me that there's going to be a bunch of people that listen to that episode and don't listen to this episode and didn't hear any of us bring up Captain Fantastic because that mm-hmm. movie is really something special. It is beautiful. It is thought-provoking. The performances are great. It's it's unlike anything I've ever seen, and it really is a movie that I'll think about for the rest of my life. All right. Well, that's Captain Fantastic. It's available on video on demand right now. It would have been Jeff Kanata's number three. And Jeff, I hope you're happy that you deprived this very uh, you know needing of attention indie film from Ugh, from killing uh, me. a lot of airplay, which they would have gotten if it had been number three on your list last week. But killing me, you know, killing whatever. Me. Whatevs. I saw um, Viga Mortensen sitting in the audience at the Golden Globes, and I was just like, I'm sorry, Viga. Viga, you did such a good job. <laughs> take, a, take a knee, and yeah. So that was not the only oversight in our uh, top 10 of 2016 episode. Uh, I, I want to point out that uh, <laughs> Jeff Kanata, you, you, it was actually hilarious. I was editing the episodes, re-listening to that com- that part of the episode where at the beginning you said, "Hey guys, I think 2016 is the best year for animation ever," and then you just start you just start listing off animated films. You list off like four animated films like right off the top of your head. And then I jump in with a bunch more. And then we kept going, we kept going, we kept going. We listed like a dozen animated films that came out in 2016. And we and, got them all, right? We, and they, we didn't miss one. Never once did we mention Finding Dory, which is the number one <laughs> animated film from a box office perspective uh, in 2016. So that was well, a... kind of a given. That was a given one. <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I think it makes sense why we kind of forgot that one, though. Yeah. Mm, yeah. It's a great uh, movie. It's a great movie. I don't... Yeah. I would say it is a good to very good movie. I don't know if yeah, I'd call it great. But yeah, yeah so it's not... not it's, wouldn't so have it, even met my uh, honorable mentions or anything. Right. Like exactly. Yeah, definitely. And there's a reason, I think, why Moana is on a, t- a bunch of people's top tens list. But I have not seen a bunch of Finding Dory on people's top tens. Uh-huh. Um, uh, but that's just my own personal experience from reading things. Okay. Yeah. Finally. And I, I know I invited this. I, I invited the <laughs> scrutiny and criticism. You invite all the suffering in your life. When I put OJ Made in America on (laughs) my top 10 list. Now, as Uh I mentioned in that episode, there's there's quite a bit of debate over whether or not that should count as a movie, you know? And a lot of people are saying it shouldn't count as a movie. Like, most people aren't going to see it in a movie theater, blah, blah, blah. They're going to see it on TV. They're going to see it on the web, whatever. Uh, I I, I think it's pretty simple. Um, Is a movie seven hours long? I don't think a movie really? is. Really? So movies are, about, movies are defined movies are, by length, movies are. Yeah. movies are defined by length? Is that I really? Mean, is the, it, is, the de- is Christoph Kozlowski's The Decalogue not a movie? You know, like, I just, I, yeah. I, I find these categories to be completely nonsensical. Uh, and I don't really care, honestly, about the debate very much. Uh, but, uh, like, so, so I will say that uh, I, I did invite the scrutiny by putting that on the list. But we got several emails. It was if it was just one email, I would have just moved on with my life. Uh, but it was like three or four or five emails, and for every email, I interpret that maybe a dozen people feel that way uh, because not everyone who feels a certain way writes in an email. We also got some tweets about this, basically saying that documentaries should not be on the top ten films of 2016 list. What and. Uh, it really bothered me. It really bothered me. Uh, like a lot of the justifications people used, it's not. It's not just that they they said they shouldn't be considered on the list. It's that it's the justifications they used that were really uh, I, I found to be like 
uh, not very convincing. You know, one person wrote in and said, hey, because um, – you know, a documentary could theoretically be made by one person. It's it's not doesn't involve as much work as like a studio film, uh, which you know, like, are we c- categorizing movies by how much work they take to make? Like, again, I, I just think these these categories are you know need to be rethought in an era of Netflix and and movies on TV and you know sure. new series and all anyway all this stuff. Another thing to consider is what is the function of a top 10 films of 2016 list. Is it just to express certain preferences? Is it just for you as a listener to hear your own preferences reaffirmed? For me, a huge function of this list is to highlight films that we loved that we might not have otherwise gotten a chance to talk about in depth on the podcast, that you might not have otherwise heard about. You know, it's, it's a way to kind of bring new movies into the mix. And for a lot of people, they don't hear a lot about documentaries because... Uh, documentaries are hard to find in theaters. It, it is difficult to see them in movie theaters. But every single documentary I listed on my list is now available on video demand. It's not like I'm, you know, some people, some critics listed movies that you cannot even get, you you cannot see at all right now. And so, uh, you know, I chose films that were, were pretty easy to access. And so it was very discouraging to get a bunch of emails saying. Docs shouldn't be on the list, but it sounds like you guys agree with me, right? That yes, yeah, that's docs, a pretty weird, arbitrary distinction. Like, yeah. uh, you, we can have an argument around OJ Made in America because yes. that was produced for TV and yada yada yada, and uh, yeah, it's a little different, maybe. Yep, um, yep. I can agree. I can agree. There's totally valid points on both sides of that argument. Yep, yep. It's like saying uh, comedies shouldn't be on your list, right? Mm-hmm. Or yeah, or some kind of genre, yeah. some kind of arbitrary genre shouldn't be on the list. Um, but yeah, I, I do think yeah the line between film and TV is yeah. blurring a lot. And but you know what? At the end of the day, these are also our lists. So shut up, <laughs> all of you. Yeah, uh, I, I don't know if I put it quite that way, Devendra. But I <laughs> That's think there, what you're really no, saying. But I think there's a lot of validity that like yeah, it's it's my list of top ten films, things that I uh-huh. judge to be films. Uh-huh. You know, and so well, uh, you know, uh, I will say this kind of pertains to what we're talking about. Uh, I was uh, delighted slash sad. To see that uh, Devendra did a special episode of this very podcast about children of men, and I wasn't present for that because uh, back on the Totally Rad show, I once put children of men on my top ten of the year two years in a row. Oh, man. That's nice. how much I liked that movie. Yeah, Jeff, and if that- you go back and watch that movie now, um, it, it's rough. It'll be rough for really? you. Really? Yeah, because wow. it's so good that it basically predicted – you know, most yeah. of the deterioration of our society right now. So it's a, it's a still a great movie, but it hits me like a ton of bricks now. It's kind of like Sunshine. Um, I don't know if you guys have revisited Sunshine in a while, yes. but man, Sun- that Sun- movie. Sunshine also predicted the uh, rapidly deteriorating state of our uh, solar system. Of our so, sun, yes. You know. <laughs> um, let's just say the uh, – I, I think like the, the philosophical uh, you know, underpinning of Sunshine – Hits you a lot harder now, I'd say. The idea that uh, our world is dying, that we need to go and find. Uh, yeah, and that we have place. to work together to do it. And yeah, yeah it's, uh, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I love it despite that ending now. I love that film. I've been, I've been working on my top 10 films of all time. Like, uh-huh, uh, uh-huh. P- Peter Serrett at Slash Film has been run, like, for the last year, he ran a bunch of, like, we, we got a bunch of new writers on the site last year. And he has been running these lists of like this, you know, this writer's top 10 films of all time. So I've been putting that together. Mm-hmm. And Children of Men is still my number one movie of all time at this point oh, yeah. in terms of my favorite. Yeah. So, it's, Like uh, for me, it's between that and Old Boy. It just kind of alternates depending on the day. 
Yeah. You know, so That's anyway, it's a great film. Uh, Abraham Reisman also has a great article about it at Vulture. In addition mm-hmm. to the podcast that Devinder recorded, he did a uh, interview with Alfonso Cuaron, and uh, it's uh, it's worth checking out because he he is less interested in how well his movie predicted the future and more interested in what we can do now, uh, mm-hmm. and that's very encouraging. So, yep. uh, anyway. Those are all of our thoughts from our top ten list. Oh, actually, Devinger, did you have any corrections? Yeah, I wanted to mention a couple things. I also forgot to mention uh, Midnight Special, which is a film I really loved, and I'm still sad that you guys weren't so into it during a review. But I encourage people to check it out. Um, I think it's more easily available now, too. Uh, it's definitely streaming everywhere. Yeah, yeah, was, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it may even be on Netflix. But that's that's just like a lovely little film. That's the sort of sci-fi I love. So it's definitely worth considering. You, you know, and, Devendra, uh, I also forgot to mention Midnight Special in my most overrated list. Yes. <laughs> you know what's overrated, Dave? The, Your face. That is a movie I didn't get. It's a movie that yeah, I just did not understand all the love for that movie. I so. know if I brought it up, you'd, you'd put it in that category, yeah, too. Totally. And another thing I'd, uh, I also wanted to mention, too, is Beyonce's Lemonade video. Yeah. which some people have put on their top tens and uh you know that that also had a really interesting release too because that was on hbo and that was like uh, apple music exclusively i think so it's been all over the place but uh this thing um directed by khalil joseph and beyonce uh is incredible it is a work of visual poetry and poetry in general so it's worth watching uh it's beautiful and I don't know quite how to categorize it as a film, but it's definitely one of the you know right. most it's, beautiful filmmaking things I've seen last year. It has a lot of well-known filmmakers that directed segments of it. You know what I mean? Like it's, but it aired on TV first in a surprise. Anyway, there's a lot of uh, things that could be said about whether or not it's a film. But I, I totally support. Mm-hmm. You know, as I said, I don't care about the debate, so I totally support you putting that on the list. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's a good one as well. So uh, with that. I think all the amendments to our our top ten list are complete. People don't yeah. know how hard it is to just like sit down, you know, and weed out weed out so many good movies. Last year was a great year, so it was tough. It was tough. Uh, I have something I wanted to bring up, David. Yeah, please, Vindra. Um, I uh, I just wanted to give a little shout out because uh, over the holiday, over the uh, New Year holiday, my mom and a bunch of her friends came into town to. Uh, to watch live the uh, the the parade, the um, New Year's Day Pasadena Rose Bowl parade, and uh, we went out to dinner. And when uh, my lovely wife called to make a reservation at this restaurant uh, near where my mom was staying, called North Italia, uh, the woman on the other end of the line said, uh, "Aaron Canada, is your husband Jeff Canada?" And she said, <laughs> "She said yes." And she said, "Oh my gosh, I love the Slash Filmcast. That is so awesome. I, oh, I'm so I'm so sad I won't be there when you guys come in for your. Did you get a good table? Yeah. yeah. Well, not only that, Mackenzie from North Italia. Uh, I hope she's okay mentioning her name. She was not present, which made me very sad. But we, uh, you know, I we thought that was cool, but I kind of forgot about it. And then we sat down, and my mom and all her friends. And then uh, a hostess came over and delivered a bottle of wine to the table with a lovely card saying that uh, we, our podcast helps her commute, and uh, she wanted to show some appreciation and gratitude for us. And she was a big fan. She wasn't even there, but she had them bring us a bottle of wine to the table. And it, oh, it made nice. me feel very cool in front of my mom and all her friends. And uh, I just timing. wanted to thank her. I hope she listens to this episode and hears how much, how much that meant to me. Nice. I mean, there's just such an untapped uh, well out there of uh, food service people who are willing to feed us. You know, like I feel like we're just 
not taking advantage of this enough. Yeah. But uh, every time it You're does that, that's, hungry. that's yeah. one way to interpret this. Yeah. yeah, no, that is that is exactly how I'm interpreting. No, Just I mean, sit down at a restaurant. Do you know who I yeah, am? <laughs> it's funny though. Yeah, whenever I do that, whenever I sit down at a restaurant and say, "Do you know who I am?" Dave Chen from the Slash Filmcast, they just look at me funny. Usually, they don't yeah. give me. Well, they're food. so intimidated by you, Dave. I yeah. think that's now the that case. they know who you are. You know. In all seriousness, whenever that does happen, it, it is the coolest thing. And so thank you for people who listen and for, uh, for people who uh, give something back whenever they have a chance. On that note, I do want to acknowledge that this is episode 400 of the Slash Filmcast. Whoa! We've been doing this for 400 episodes. Uh, we were just talking before the show about how we didn't plan anything special for this episode. Uh, and I suggested that for episode 500 we plan something special, like some kind of live recording or something like that. But, uh, of course, episode 500 will not happen for two years. Uh, and who knows <laughs> if we'll be around yeah. by then or if the Slash Homecast will be around. Or uh, if the Infrastructure Society will be here. Yeah. Who knows? Nonetheless, wanted You'll be to listening just... to us through nuclear winter. But that's okay. <laughs> Nonetheless, wanted to take a moment... And just reflect on the fact that this podcast has been going for 400 episodes, uh, roughly eight years. And uh, for me, it has been uh, an incredible journey. The Slash Filmcast, I I know for me, and uh, I believe for you, Devendra, as well, Mm -hmm. has uh, opened up doors professionally for you that would have never otherwise surfaced. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I... I wouldn't have been able to move to New York, I think, um, you know, without the show. It was just nice having a reason to be there and work to do while I was there. And, uh, you know, I've made some good connections. And even on the tech side of things, people love the show and, and you know, talk to me because of that, too. So it's it's worked out pretty well. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, Jeff, the only reason I didn't include you in that is because, you know, you've, you're a relative newcomer. And only the last couple of years you've been joining us. And so I don't expect that it will have had life-changing consequences other than free bottles of wine in that little Italian. Yeah. Uh, yeah those but- doors are already open for me, Dave. Thanks. <laughs> no. Um, I, yes. I, you know, this is clearly a, a, a big milestone, particularly for you guys uh, who have been here since the beginning. And it's it's a true accomplishment. That's a big deal to have that kind of staying power and the fact that the show has continued to evolve. And uh, I'm I'm so grateful to be part of it and to have been part of it for a while now. Um, but I certainly respect the fact that, that uh, you guys made something before I was ever here that has stood the test of time and is valuable and interesting to a lot of people that listen to it. And I, I just hope my contributions are, uh, are up to the, to the high bar you guys have set. Yeah, uh, do want to give a shout out to Adam Quigley, with whom we started the show. And you know, for for those who don't know how that happened, like I just randomly reached out to Adam, and uh, I'd read some of his writing. He just randomly reached out and said, "Let's start this podcast." We started it together. I recorded with Adam for many years, and then uh, Jeff joined us when Adam left. And uh, yeah, it has been uh, quite a journey. We've gotten to talk with so many cool filmmakers, people who are our heroes. Um, and you know, talk about movies uh, that we've really enjoyed, and, and movies that have really impacted our lives, like Captain Fantastic, for example. You know, Unfor- yes, no unforgettable, would, unforgettable no movie. Yes. You'd never forget talking about never. that movie. Uh, but for, for me, it's just it's it's just an odd thing. Uh, you know, do, doing a podcast for this long is just an odd thing. Like, there's so many <laughs> weird phenomena that you experience as time goes on. Yeah, I think the biggest challenge is that uh, if people like the show, they don't uh, remind you of that on a weekly basis. You know, like I I know how many people download the show, 
Um, and it's not like people say like, every, hey, great show, you know, but they still download, they, they give money every week, you know. And so I know people are listening. I know people are enjoying our work, but sometimes it's very difficult to know that, you know, because you're just putting things out into the void and you just don't know if people are listening. That, you know, that's why we appreciate all the emails we get, all the donations we get, all the tweets we get about it. Uh, but it, it, it is just weird. Like you kind of, there's a lot of, I guess, what I'm trying to say is there's a lot of like faith that goes into continuing to produce something over this many years you know there's a lot of like you just keep doing it assuming that what you're doing is worthwhile and that people are enjoying it and um and so that's been that's been interesting uh but also like mm -hmm. the growth of the show has been pretty uh, staggering to me as well i almost never talk about numbers of the show uh, you know on the show or even publicly uh but i will just say that i, I was looking over our old episodes firstly uh, I have download numbers on uh, virtually every episode of the podcast, the last uh -huh. 350 episodes. And uh, it took us a very long time, uh, a couple years, before we got over 10,000 downloads per episode. Uh, it, took, it took many, several years before we got over that. And also, by the way, uh, I, I do want to point people to a very, very old episode, uh, uh, episode, I think, 50 or so. That was when we had Ryan Johnson, the director of Episode Eight of Star Wars, coming out this year. He came on to review Star Trek with us, uh, the J.J. Abrams film, which is interesting because J.J. Abrams directed Star Wars: <laughs> The Force Awakens. Uh, that is a gem of an episode. You can go back to the archives and find that. But yeah, that episode only has like a few thousand downloads. Uh, meanwhile, recently we had uh, the first, like we we are we are now. With some regularity, getting episodes that have over a hundred thousand downloads, nice. uh, and for, yeah, for me, that's just like I never expected that it would ever get to that level. I, what um, percentage of that are people in the food service industry? <laughs> I, my hope is at least fifty percent, Jeff. <laughs> I'm all hoping kitchens. it's higher than that. We're like fight, we're like Fight Club, Jeff. We have like people, you know, slash Filmcast uh, people all over the place. We have people everywhere. <laughs> we're like you know. This that's actually pretty true because I've talked to some uh, like tech companies and once in a while a PR person will just pull me aside and it's like, by the way, I love the podcast. <laughs> like, not, awesome. not like they don't want to embarrass themselves in front of their boss or something, but uh, <laughs> it's, it's kind of funny. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, all that being said, I'm just like offering a few random reflections on like how far we've come and all the things that have happened. But overall, uh, the podcast has uh, like transformed the course of my life, you know, mm -hmm. and has given me a lot of opportunities uh, like helping me make uh, Tobolowsky files and the primary instinct. And, uh, and professionally, like in my, in, like, from a full-time perspective, it's also opened a lot of doors for me. And, uh, and I'm just very grateful for that. So ultimately, I just want to say that and I'm very grateful to all the listeners who allow us to get on these microphones every week and and spout complete nonsense at them about yeah. uh, about the movies we see. So. Yeah, I mean, I, I also want to say like thanks to the listeners for those who followed us from the beginning and even new listeners like you guys keep us going. And Dave, like I just wanted to say like you've been doing the grunt work of this show for so long, you know. So thank you for taking care of that. Um, I'm glad that didn't end up on me at the beginning. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, that's partially because of my control freakishness, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, it, it 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 does take a significant amount of work but we've refined it to a pretty good uh state right now and uh so anyway uh just a bunch of random reflections on episode 400 and uh, here's to the next 400 guys here's to the next 400 hopefully epi episode 500 i'm telling you guys i'm planning <laughs> it now it's going to be a lot more eventful than this episode is sure <laughs> all that being said 
Let's dive into the actual meat of the Slash Filmcast, which is what we've been watching this week. I want to talk about a few things. Firstly, Live by Night, the newest film written and directed by Ben Affleck. Even if you win today's battle, there's so much violence in what you do. You don't think I'm strong enough? I don't know if you're cruel enough. Powerful men don't have to be cruel. Jeff Kanata, this is a movie that you've seen. You said it was fine. I would, go, I would go farther and say this movie is bad. Uh, it is not <laughs> something I'd recommend. And it is a uh, – I'm willing to look at it as a grievous misstep in Ben Affleck's otherwise very illustrious directing career. I mean you look at movies like Gone Baby Gone, The Town, and Argo. Those are all movies I really enjoyed. This is a movie that really felt like a slog. And, mm-hmm. you know, uh, my, my colleague Stephen Tobolowsky has a saying – or not a saying but like – uh, an explanation he likes to give about storytelling. He's like, a story is not just something that happened. You know, like, I saw Madonna on a plane. That's something that happened. But a story has a beginning, middle, and end. It tries, you know, there's hopefully universal elements that are relatable to you. And uh, Live by Night is a definition of just a bunch of things that happened. You know, th- there's uh, a bunch yeah. of events, but none of them are imbued with any significance or emotional impact. And for that, the movie really suffers. I found it to be um, very difficult to get through. You know, this is a movie where uh, most movies, if I need to go to the bathroom, I'll just like hold it for the rest of the time, you know, because like, <laughs> I don't, I don't want to miss yeah. anything. You know, I don't want to miss like a crucial scene or a crucial dialogue. Uh, but this is a movie where I was like, you know, I'm okay with the bathroom break because yeah. uh, it, is, it, it is a very listless film. It is a film that uh, I feel like. Is very tired at this point from from a Ben Affleck perspective because mm-hmm. Ben Affleck plays uh, similar characters from film to film, which is to say, Batman. he plays a criminal with a heart of gold. He's like an antihero, but here's the problem: there's no anti in it. And what I mean by that is Vic Mackey from The Shield. The first time we met that guy, he tortured a pedophile with a phone book in order to try and save a girl from who is who is kidnapped. Uh, and you saw a really ugly side of it. Oh, not to mention he executed a, a fellow police person. Killed a cop. Yeah. And uh, that's evil, unsavory stuff. And whenever you see Ben Affleck in these movies, specifically I'm thinking of The Town and I'm thinking of Live by Night uh, and to some extent The Accountant. He uh-huh. plays a criminal, but he's always a good guy. Like you, you don't see him do anything truly evil, anything that would truly alienate you. And that continues in Live by Night. Like he, he wants to be this kind of like oh this tortured gangster who uh, who finds some kind of redemption, but the tortured part is so unconvincing that the arc just does not land for me. I, I like so. your P anecdote, Dave, because that's happened to me a lot too. Like I'm just <laughs> watching a movie. And it's just like it's so nothing, right? I could walk out and just leave for five or ten minutes, and <laughs> I, I wouldn't miss anything. There have been bad movies where I just like go take a pee and like just take a walk around the theater yeah. <laughs> and be like think about our situation and how we landed here watching this movie and then go back in um, not too long you can judge a movie by how willing you are to go pee during it and for I will say for this one it really comes together in that part where you went to pee (laughs) (laughs) like in the case of of in the case of Silence which you'll be reviewing later that is a movie uh, where I needed to pee but I held it in guys (laughs) I held it in the entire two hours and you know 40 minutes or whatever Mm -hmm. 
Uh, I, I'm not going to disagree with anything you said about Live By Night. Okay. But good, I just good. didn't come away from it <laughs> as negatively as you. It, 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 it's fine. It's, it's, it, it, it kind of goes through the motions of being this epic gangster film. The places where you end up are novel. I've never really seen a, a gangster film kind of get to New Orleans like that and live in that world. And some of the things that happen, and yes, you're right, they are just things that happen. And I think when I first mentioned it on the show a few weeks ago, I, I kind of said the same thing, that there's, there's really no stakes. Like he's yeah. ostensibly in danger in the movie, but ne- he never feels like he's ever in danger. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And everything just sort of happens and it's fine. And uh, I mean he even gets shot at one point and it's just – it's like played as a joke. And <laughs> yeah. uh, it's, it, it's very strange tonally. But it's also like not unentertaining. You know, it, it is – there's just the sort of moment to moment is, is – it's fine. It's, if, it's not if, if it was 40 minutes shorter, I would agree with you. Like be, – but because it's two hours and 15 minutes, uh, it really was uh, a challenge to get through. I, I do think that it might have been improved if it was three hours and 15 minutes. And what I mean by that is <laughs> – no, what I mean by that is just like the, none of these characters have any room to breathe. You're getting introduced to new characters every five minutes. You know, and but they aren't really characters. That's what They're I'm saying. All, that's what I'm saying. They're not really characters. That's the problem. They, there's any, they don't breathe. There's no, it's yeah. not about room to breathe. It's yeah. that all of – every single character in the movie exists to – affect Ben Affleck's character. Yeah. There's yeah. there's literally no agency on any of their parts other than what do they mean to Affleck. And yeah. I mean female, male, it doesn't matter. He has like a, a guy sidekick. I couldn't tell you one fact about that guy other than he's <laughs> Ben Affleck's sidekick. It was a kind of an interesting look. I'd never seen that actor before. You know, like or I don't recall seeing that actor before. Uh, and it was kind of an interesting look for a sidekick, I thought. Uh, <laughs> speaking of looks, I do think the movie is very beautiful. You know, yeah. uh, the the kind of period uh, elements of it are very well done. Uh, ben Affleck wears kind of these uh, light colored suits the whole time. He's very yeah. snappily dressed, all double breasted, like yeah, old style. Like uh, everyone's wearing a fedora. Uh, Zoe Saldana at one point wore a dress that I think made me insane. Like it was it was crazy. <laughs> you, you didn't know what to do with these feelings. Yeah, like like, like I, I just I'm I'm now clinically insane because of how amazing that dress was. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so there, there are some like nice things to look at in the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's beautifully you know photographed, but uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I have this very rough idea. This is not a fully formed idea, guys. So maybe like over time it can develop. But any movie where I feel like you know the main character meets a woman or a guy or whatever, and they have sex within five minutes of their meeting, I feel like is going to be a bad movie <laughs> because <laughs> because the movie substitutes sex for love. You know, it substitutes sex for like any kind Connection. of backstory, yeah, any yeah. kind of backstory for, you know, these people actually developing uh, a relationship. And if that happens really quickly, I uh-huh. feel like it's a sign that the movie's doing something wrong, but th- this is a very kind of, you know, uh proto idea in my head right now, but uh I think that's true of the relationship that Ben Affleck has with some of the women in this film. That's put it. It's usually not a good sign, for yeah. sure. And I almost wonder, like, uh, I, I honestly am just getting a little Affleck out. I'm, I'm all full of Affleck. Um, <laughs> partially, that was maybe why I wasn't as into the accountant. The accountant really damaged your opinion of Ben Affleck. I think. I just, yeah. Um, <laughs> I have an affliction. <laughs> yeah, that I like Gone Baby Gone. Not bad. Yeah. 
I like Gone Baby Gone the most of his things, uh, mainly because it didn't star him, too. Because if you, when you're the star of a thing you're directing, it's almost like you're inextricably linked to it. It almost seems like a puff piece for yourself. And, you know, him having to direct his brother, I I think at least was, uh, it was, it it seemed like the direction that one was the best of all these films to me, at least. And he's doing Batman. I really liked Argo. You know, I really liked the. I thought uh, he was the weakest part of Argo, but I liked Argo. Yeah. The Best Picture Award winning Argo. Yeah. And. You know, Argo was one of my favorite films of that year. Live by Night is not even the favorite film that I've seen this week. You know what I mean? Like, that's how bad I felt Live by Night was. So, I I still have a lot of faith in Batfleck. I think that uh, if it's even happening, if it's even happening, you know, right. he said this week maybe we won't get a good script. Uh, but I still have a lot of faith in Ben Affleck. I think this is just a misstep. You know, I think this is adapted from a book, and it. it uh, it has some of the problems of movies that are adapted from books, which is they, they try to cram in too much into the movie. It's it's very overstuffed. None of it lands. I felt nothing. You know, people these people are emoting their hearts out. They're acting um, and like really using all their acting talent. And uh, I felt nothing during the course of this entire film. And it well, uh, at the end you didn't feel something nope, at the end. I felt nothing. I, I felt something. But okay, you felt something, and that's cool. That's cool. Um, so that's live by night. Uh, it's written, direct, directed, but, <clears throat> written and directed by Ben Affleck, and it's coming out in theaters uh, January 13th, this Friday. So uh, if you must see the latest Ben Affleck film, check it out. Otherwise, I would say uh, <laughs> skip it. Uh, you know, I, I saw this movie with a colleague of mine, Matt Zeller, and uh, we, 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 I usually do a Periscope after I see a movie. And someone in the Periscope asked a question. Uh, he said, like, uh, movie theater, home video, or plane? And Matt said, uh, you know, see it on a plane if you've already seen everything else that the plane is offering. <laughs> That's kind of how we assess Live by Night. So uh, very disappointing. Anyway, let's move on. The Autopsy of Jane Doe. Have you guys heard of this movie? Yes. I'm looking forward to this one. Yeah. So this is a movie. Uh, it's a horror thriller. All, it basically all takes place in one location. It's directed by the guy who did Troll Hunter. And uh, I heard a lot of good things about this movie, and I thought it was decent. I didn't. It wasn't. I didn't think it was great. It wasn't as great as other uh, horror movies that are kind of like bottle movies. You know, uh, we just talked last week about movies like Ten Cloverfield Lane and uh, Green Room and Don't Breathe, and obviously uh, those are not supernatural movies, which the Autopsy of Jane Doe uh, kind of is. But uh, I do think that. There are some cool ideas. The movie is very stylishly shot. The performances are decent. I think where I didn't enjoy the movie is like I felt like some of the shit that happens in this film is absolutely bananas crazy. (laughs) And I just didn't feel like I bought the reaction. Like I felt like if I was in that situation um, with Emile Hirsch and Brian Cox, who are the two leads in this film, I would react – a bit differently than them. I guess it's it, so much of this stuff, ha- like it escalates so quickly that I felt like, oh man, I, I don't know if I really buy how these people are, are reacting to this situation. It didn't, it didn't quite ring true to me. But beyond that, you know, it's, a, it's kind of an effective little thriller. It's like 85 minutes long. Um, there's some cool ideas. And here's the thing that is really cool about this film is uh, the movie is called The Autopsy of Jane Doe. They find this body, and these, basically these two people need to perform an autopsy on it. And what's really cool about the movie is uh, there's a ton of close-ups of this body's face, the head, random elements of the body before they cut into it. And it looks so lifelike. 
And I was just like, oh my god, how did they make this look so lifelike? You know, because is this a dummy that they're cutting into? Blah blah blah. Uh, I, so I, I did some reading about it. Turns out it's actually a real person that's alive that plays the corpse. Um, you know, obviously they use some effects for when they actually cut this person open and crack the rib cage and take out organs and stuff. But so that's obviously not her. But all the parts where she's like lying on the table, not breathing, and just looking aimlessly into space—that's a real person who's alive. And uh, shots of that really creeped me out because huh. uh, it just it just looks so lifelike, but you know they're not quite you know there's something not quite right about their appearing to be dead, uh, which just kind of feeds into the plot of the film. So anyway, there there are some cool creepy moments in it enough to make me uh, recommend it uh, on the slash filmcast or at least give it a mention on the show. I uh, Amazon's actually having this promotion right now where you can rent any movie. On Amazon for ninety nine cents, uh, I think with promo code movie ninety nine. So uh, that's how I, I watched this movie. So uh, it was uh, a little bit of fun. Finally, uh, I wanted to mention I watched the first episode of Sherlock this season. Have any of you guys seen this? Not uh, yet. The season premiere of Sherlock season four, I think it is. Uh, and this is a movie. Uh, this is a show, I should say, uh, that I was uh, incredibly disappointed by. I've heard episode two is a lot better. Uh, so I'm going to give that a shot as well. But I just uh, thought this was really pretty rough from a season premiere perspective. Uh, Jeff Kanata, uh, yes. Justified. Remember that show? One of my very favorite shows. Season, Love it. Seasons one through three of Justified, like every season they introduce kind of a big bad, like a new villain. You yeah. know? And uh, I remember I interviewed Graham Yost, the showrunner of Justified, right around that time. And he said, you know, next season, I don't think we're going to introduce a new villain. I think we're going to try to find stories within the existing characters. Mm -hmm. And uh, they did an amazing, masterful job of that in season four of Justified. I thought there's characters who are like side, total side characters who you thought were like extras End yeah. up being like major Just players, comic relief characters yeah. that are turned into like major really characters. Interesting, in yeah, super yeah. cool use. And that was um, a good move because season three was not that great. So. Season three was pretty rough, yeah. But season yeah. four, I thought was like wow, like that is genius what they did with that. Uh, and I think Sherlock is trying the same thing. They're like, okay, we already introduced like Moriarty, we already introduced all these characters. Let's just try to find stories within the existing characters. And for me, it absolutely does not work. And I don't want to give anything away about anything about the plot so i'll just mention that i thought episode one was pretty rough i'm gonna keep going but uh i i literally after watching this episode of sherlock i went and watched the guy Ritchie movie sherlock holmes just to <laughs> wash the taste of it just to get yourself a good sit that's right yeah get myself a good sit see this was not a good sit jeff this mm. was not a good sit so uh anyway I think the episode is called like the Six Thatchers or something, just so those who know. But yeah, I'll, I'll watch till the, mm-hmm. the rest of them and see what happens. I mean, the, some of the earlier Sherlock episodes were not so hot. Yeah, it, it like, is a hit or miss. Been all over the yeah, place. It, yeah, it is hit or miss for sure. Like some of them but are when great. When it hits, it hits so good. It is. Yeah. I've heard. I've heard. I've heard episode two is pretty solid. So I'm. Mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to that. Anyway, uh, season four is now on BBC America, and you can watch it there or uh, on video on demand as well. All right, Jeff Kanata, what have you been watching this week? Uh, you know that I love Woody Allen. Um, you say what you will about his personal foibles, uh, which uh, you know I, I don't want to even touch at this point. I, I think he, as an artist, I don't know if I call them foibles, but yes, Jeff, I understand <laughs> what you're saying. Controversy, yeah. uh, whatever. 
um, things that may be atrocious in his life. <laughs> we yep. may or may not have happened. I don't know. Uh, but certainly uh, I'm not going to let that bleed into my uh, review of this film. Uh, his latest is called Cafe Society. Uh, and, I, you know, he's probably my favorite filmmaker ever. Um, and, I again, I find it – we talked about this with the Bill Cosby thing. Like my, my favorite people in the world tend to – Tend to have these problems. Uh, I don't know what that says about me, but um, you know his movie Annie Hall, Manhattan, uh, Crimes and Misdemeanors, Hen and Her Sisters. Uh, these are some of my favorite movies of all time. They define kind of my aesthetic. I think for for movie, I just love the kinds of characters he writes, the kinds of movies he directs, how he directs them, the, the kinds of actors he gets, and the way he lets them play. Uh, so I'm always excited to see his his newest film. I, I mean, he's so prolific. A, a movie every year is, is an extraordinary thing. So uh, I sought out his newest. I didn't see it in theaters, but it is now streaming on Amazon. Actually, Amazon paid to make it. It's an Amazon Studios movie, uh, and it's called Cafe Society. It stars Jesse Eisenberg and Kristen Stewart and Steve Carell. And um, this takes place in the the sort of uh, heyday of Hollywood when James Cagney and uh, you know those, those types of people were were making movies. This is very much a very similar movie in, in a lot of ways to La La Land. Uh, it's like what if Woody Allen made La La Land? It would look like Cafe Society. Uh, it's about um, a young Jewish boy who leaves New York and comes to Hollywood. And tries to make his fortune and he falls in love with a girl and uh, things get weird from there. And, you know, it's not – I wouldn't say it's a top-tier Woody Allen movie. But even when he's not completely on his game, his movies I find to be fascinating. Even his bad movies I think are better than 90% of the movies. And, and I – with the caveat that most people will probably not love this movie but – no one makes movies like this. There aren't people making movies that look like Cafe Society anymore. And that is characters interacting, just sort of a, a very simple story uh, told against an interesting tapestry with long takes. And we're sort of like introduced to these characters and shown a slice of their life and things happen to them. And that's that's about it. It's It's not – there's some laughs. There's some – uh, you know some interesting moments, but it's it's a it's a kind of a, just a simple little movie. Having said that, it's one of the the prettiest movies that he's done. The, I feel like he got a bit of more of a budget than he's used to because there's a lot of old Hollywood glamour on display, and uh, uh, the movie is really beautiful. Uh, and and you're in these amazing opulent old Hollywood locations, and um. And you know what happens is kind of unexpected. It very much feels like La La Land, and I, in a lot of ways, I almost prefer it to La La Land. I know that's heresy to say, but uh, it's a, it's a little franker. It's a little uh, more willing to be rough around the edges. You know, it has more infidelity, and uh, there's more questionable motives from the people we're supposed to like. People are, you know, as in all of Woody Allen's oeuvre, people are complicated and nobody is purely anything. You know, we talk about Ben Affleck always being likable. Woody Allen movies, everybody has got rough edges and there's always stuff to not like about them. And I find that kind of filmmaking fascinating. And I was certainly happy to, to watch all of Cafe Society. 
All right. Uh, well, that's Cafe Society. I think it's available on video on demand, right, Jeff? How did you watch it? Yeah, Netflix uh, Prime. I'm a Prime member. It was free to stream on Netflix Prime. Um, you, you mean Amazon Prime? <laughs> yes, sorry. Yes. <laughs> Amazon Prime streaming, yeah. yes. Boy, cool. Uh, and Jeff, you also uh, subscribe to DirecTV Now, right? I just moved into a new home. and Congratulations. Um, thank you. It's uh, My wife and I bought our first house, and uh, boy, that's an expensive thing. So uh, cut the cable. Decided mm-hmm. to, t- Now's the time to cut the cables, try to, try to save some dollars here and there everywhere we can because, um, boy, owning a house is expensive. And... Um, so one of the things I did was was just go down to Pure Internet from Time Warner uh, because that cable bill was very large. And a friend of mine uh, who listens to the show uh, hipped me to the fact that DirecTV Now – He which hipped is, you to the fact? Yeah. <laughs> I've never heard hipped used that way. Really? In, in verb form. That's because you're not hip, Dave. Uh, yeah. I haven't yeah. been hipped to the uh, usage of hip. Well, now you have been. Uh, Consider yeah. yourself hipped. Thanks. Uh, so – he told me about um, DirecTV now just launched their new uh, internet streaming service. DirecTV now is basically live television over the internet. It, you turn it on and it, it's like you're watching live TV. You click through channels. They change. You, it's you know, for all intents and purposes live television. And the, the most exciting part was up until I think yesterday they were – or maybe today is the last day. Uh, they were running a special where they have the base price for DirecTV now is $30 a month. They have a like super fantastic all the channels version at $60 a month. But until now, the, you know, they've been running this promotion where you pay the $30 per month and get the $60 per month. Right. And if you buy three months in advance, you get a free Apple TV, which huh. costs more than three months of DirecTV now. So uh, I thought, you know, why not give it a shot? So I got myself my first Apple TV. I've never had an Apple TV before now. Um, and uh, DirecTV now is an app on Apple TV. It works great. It's uh, The only real bummer is that it doesn't have any CBS programming. They have not been able to reach a deal with CBS mm-hmm. because CBS wants their own – has their own streaming yeah, service. Yeah, they're launching their own like CBS All Access uh, streaming right. service. Yeah. yeah, That's already launched but they're actually talking with Hulu now for Hulu's TV streaming. Like it's all confusing guys. Yeah. So yeah. And I – you know I, I don't really watch a lot of network television. I like to have the option and you can get the over-the-air HD signal on it which mm-hmm. I just bought on Amazon. But um, – uh, the big bummer was the, to watch football this weekend. I was like, oh, I got my DirecTV now, my Apple TV. It just arrived. It's going to be awesome to be able to watch the playoff games. Uh, no NBC, no CBS. Uh, I don't know why the NBC was not streamable. There was no like local affiliate. Mm. I was blacked out in my area. So that felt weird that I was not able to watch that. But everything else works pretty slick. And um, I, you know, I'm still going to try yeah. out my, my remaining – two and a half months of, of service before I make a firm decision whether I'll stick with it. But it's pretty cool to get the $30 version for $60. As long as I don't cancel it, it will stay that way. So that's pretty mm-hmm. cool. Mm-hmm. And uh, and HBO is only five bucks uh, additional. So, oh, nice. Yeah, uh, set, up that, uh, H, like, set up the antenna and you'll be fine when it comes yeah. to like NBC and CBS and stuff. Yeah. Cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, DirecTV now, uh, I, I felt like, didn't they used to do the satellite dishes, right? They yeah, still I mean, do. They still yeah, do. This yeah, is an alternative. This is just yeah. This is just uh, cable. Uh, t- yeah, cable over the internet, which is or cable TV over the internet, which is kind of yeah, um, yeah, yeah. which was seen as pretty. 
not revolutionary, but definitely a disruption of their existing business model. For well, sure. I think that's where Sling everybody's TV going. Yeah. And uh, PlayStation View have done for the past couple of years, actually. So yeah, there. Yeah, I, I test out DirectV now as well. It's fine. It's it's totally fine. But as far as like, if you don't get that deal package, I think Sling TV might be a better option. Yeah, for a lot yeah. Of Sling looks like a great option as well. It's yeah. kind of cool though. You you can. Mm-hmm. You can look at the guide as you would your cable TV guide. Yeah, but if yeah. something has already aired, you just click on it and it it makes it like it's airing now. Mm-hmm. Oh, so right. it, it it's works on the cloud. Yeah, right. Pretty cool. Now, speaking of technology, Devendra, you just came back from CES, uh, the Consumer uh, Electronics Show, which is one of the yes. biggest conventions about electronics in the country <laughs> uh and yeah i talked with a, a friend of mine who was there this week uh he said it, it is the, he went for the first time is this your first time or second time? no it's my sixth time oh sixth so. time yeah just like the yeah. scale of it is insane yep. right yep it's it's a big show like we've <laughs> talked about comic-con here on the podcast and comic-con's big and crowded and everything but you know what after you deal with the mess of comic-con you usually end up looking at like some cool like some cool clips from a movie or something <laughs> or like a cool panel <laughs> cs doesn't really have that right you're dealing with a lot of crap and eventually you'll get to see products and most of them are junk like that's that's a sad state of reality today uh but this year there was some cool stuff uh we actually at engadget we gave uh, the best TV award and the best of the best of CES award to uh, LG's new W series OLED TVs, and just because the, it's insane, guys. It's a it's a it's an OLED TV, and when it sits on your wall, it looks like a poster. It is two point six millimeters thin. It's so wow. thin they couldn't even build a stand for it because the structural integrity of such a thin material, like, they just couldn't do it. You better so, not ever move, because those movers are breaking your television. <laughs> that's true. That's going to be a big pain. Like, I, hopefully you'll get, like, a something to, like, I don't know, stabilize it. It's like moving a work of art, basically. But it looks amazing, and it shows how far we've come with OLED. Um, so, yeah, I, I think OLED's going to be a big deal this year. Um, we didn't know pricing of this thing yet, but pricing for all the OLEDs has come down quite a bit. I bought the B6, which is last year's 55-inch model, for like eighteen hundred bucks, and, and now it's garbage. <laughs> it's 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 still pretty good. But <laughs> the other the other good thing about OLED is all the new panels this year will you will be the same panel as in this really expensive one. So the LG has a whole bunch of models. Sony has one coming out, which looks kind of weird uh, because the screen itself is the speaker. So. <laughs> And it doesn't sound that good. They just did it, I guess, <laughs> because they could actually do it. Um, but, you know, we're seeing all sorts of new tech. There, there's not much else going on from CES except for the TV stuff and, like, more self-driving stuff. And, you know, it's, it's, that and, stuff and, is and good. Alexa, Alexa's in everything, too, now. Alexa's right? in everything. Um, she, which just is, heard, she just heard me say her name just now. Yeah, you got to yeah. call her Echo. Please call her Echo. I, I actually have multiple of them with different uh-huh. names. So uh, they'll respond no matter what I call them. Don't you have the thing turned on where the yeah. closest one only responds? I, I haven't flipped that thing yet. You should, it helps. Flip it, yeah. helps I'll, a lot. I'll do that. I'll flip that <laughs> thing. Yeah. The the problems of our modern life. Like yeah. which which little you know uh, connected speaker am I talking to right now? Life is <laughs> difficult. Yeah. yeah. So that's the LG uh, OLED TV W series that yes. has 4K and HDR. Uh, looks amazing. As everything. Jeff, once that thing's out, you're going to regret your 80-inch TV purchase <laughs> oh, so hard. I'm regretting every, everything you buy is garbage the next year. It's, <laughs> this you is throw true. it in the garbage. Devendra, anything else we've been watching? Uh, I have been watching the show called Quarry on Cinemax, and uh, this show's pretty good. I saw a lot of people talking about it this season. It's about a Vietnam vet who comes home 
uh, it's set in the seventies and you know, he comes home and things are just not the way, you know, he expected, right? People hate him because of a potential like war crime that he was involved with. Uh, you know, things at home aren't great either. And he finds himself uh, connected with uh, a mysterious guy who basically makes him a hitman. And this show is so good. Like it is a great action thriller. And you know what? Cinemax has been doing a ton of these. Um, I talked about Banshee, I think, a year or two ago. And that's a fun, like, crazy series. Very similar to True Blood. It's just, like, out there with crazy action. Quarry is more like, um, I guess, like, when 24 has, like, a great shootout or a great action scene. Uh, it's like that. Or, or, like, even a spy film, too. It's uh, All the episodes are directed by Greg Gatanes, who did a bunch of stuff. He did a lot of Banshee. He did some stuff for Lost, too. And the action in the show is so good, but the writing is great, too, and the characters are great. So if you enjoy just, like, you know, nice, serious action movies, like something that's not over the top, but can really go crazy when it needs to and really go hardcore action, uh, I'd really recommend checking this out. Cinemax is just doing a great job with action series on TV. So worth checking out. I haven't finished the season yet, but I hear from a lot of people that uh, one of the best action scenes of last year is in like the finale of this show, like a great one take. So I'm basically leading up to that. All right, well, that's Quarry, and it is airing on Cinemax right now. Now, Devinger, you've also been watching something else, and that is a show called The OA. This oh, is a yeah. Show, this is a show that Peter Serretta at SlashFilm.com really likes, and he actually wrote a great feature about it uh, called How the OA is the Next Evolution in TV Storytelling. Now, I have seen one episode of The OA, uh, which was right, like 80 minutes long. And uh, I it was like it was, the oh no for you. It right? was like the oh no. Nice, Devendra. <laughs> very good. Uh, I thought it was very bad, despite being, again, I must emphasize, huge fans of the people behind it, specifically Britt Marling and Zalip at Monglage. Like, I, I love their work, but I just thought this was uh, my least favorite thing that they've done. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one thing that was really interesting about the OA, the first episode, was. Uh, they didn't show the opening, the, the like title or credits until 60 minutes into the episode, right? Like you're an hour in, all this crap has happened, and then they show the credits. And I believe they don't show them again. And uh, that's one of the elements that Peter Serrata points out in this article. We'll link to it in the show notes about how shows like the OA are playing more with the format. Um, specifically with the OA, the episodes vary greatly in terms of their episode length. Uh, which makes a lot of sense because, hey, sometimes you might have a story that you want to tell about these characters that you can tell in 30 minutes, and sometimes it might take you know 80 minutes. And it's funny that we haven't uh, been able to see this really play out writ large because uh, a lot of the companies that make these TV shows, that produce these TV shows, often have to think about, uh, okay, well, when we're syndicating it to other countries, like we need to have commercial breaks for for when we're showing, showing this in other countries. And, and so that's why every episode needs to be roughly the same length. Uh, mm-hmm. And with Netflix uh, and with On Demand, all those requirements go away. So uh, it's, it's fascinating to see how, how like this show and, you know, Peter also points out other shows like Mr. Robot and also uh, People vs. O.J. Simpson, you know, this year, as well as Horace and Pete – yeah, and uh, Sense8. Sense8, like, uh, yeah, they yeah, take chances with episode, uh, with episode length. Uh, so it's worth reading. Check it out. I, I think it's a great thing. I think, I think the more we can expand our definition of like what I- an episode is, you know, uh, I, I think it will open the door for new and more interesting ways of storytelling. I, I just wish that 
you know, in this case, this this revolution or this evolution in, in television storytelling was led by a more worthy property. Well, you already yeah. mentioned the more worthy property, and that's Horace and Pete. <laughs> there, the there fact you that you mentioned several more worthy properties yeah, here. Yeah. So, so the fact that everyone isn't talking about Horace and Pete, the fact that Horace yeah. and Pete didn't sweep every awards show since it was released is a travesty. And it's, it's only it's the downside because of that release strategy. Unfortunately. Exactly. Yeah. It's yeah. only because he didn't you know, partner with any big network to put it out. Mm-hmm. that had any kind of promotional arm. He just, you know, did it on his own website, but it is a transcendent work. And it, it is it, it, the, the performances are unbelievable. And yeah, it is blazing a trail of, this isn't like anything that's ever been made. It's part play, part television show. It has varying lengths. It has ver- weird act structure sometimes, sometimes not. It, it's just its own thing, and it exists to be what it needs to be in that given moment. And I, that's I think all that, on Hulu now, by the way. Yeah, so Horace and Pete, seriously. all on Hulu. So yeah. uh, watch it. Che- cheaper than buying all the episodes individually. But Devendra. Uh, I watched the first episode of the OA. I thought it was very bad and like uh, almost a parody of sci-fi serialized storytelling. Sounds uh, about right. You you wanted to give it another shot, uh, and that's cool because Devendra gives things shots, and I'm cool with that. <laughs> I, I like I like Doctor Devendra. I'm not sure you would this first and last episode business. Okay, Devendra like, is a char- you know in general I find Devendra to be a charitable viewer, even of stuff that I, I hate. Find the good things, okay? Like yeah. for me. Uh, I, I can take the good things, and if it doesn't quite wrap together as a whole, I can I can just talk about how something can be good in some levels. And uh, you know, I we, so you you finish you finish the OA now. I finished yeah. the OA, and I want to say like I I wanted to see the first couple episodes, and there was a point where I just wanted to stop because uh, <laughs> I I just didn't really have it in me. But my but you wife, knew if you stopped, stop. you knew if yes. you stopped that uh, you could not properly do a takedown because people would just say your opinion is invalid, which they have. Well, for I would I would just be like, you know, I saw the first couple episodes, and that's it. That's all I could talk about. Yeah. But my wife was kind of into it, and also it was that weird time when. There was just, like, nothing else to watch, which I think was really their plan, you know? Like, you got no options, guys. Uh, You know, winter TV season hasn't started yet. It's the holidays. You're home. Uh, You have no choice. Just watch me. And uh, I I don't know. I think that was part of it. But, yeah, the show goes all over the place. Uh, Peter raises some good points, but I actually think um, everything he says here uh, applies better to Sense8, the Wachowskis uh, show on Netflix. Um, and that is just a much stronger show. The storytelling is much better. The characters are much better. And it uh, just like uh, with Horace and Pete, Jeff, like it kills me that more people aren't talking about Sense8. Because if you've loved anything by the Wachowskis, um, Sense8 just like really hones in on all the themes that's been in their work for a while. If you want action, it has that. If you want like crazy uh, theories and philosophizing about humanity, it has that. If you want like a sci-fi conspiracy, it has that. Um, I guess just for me, since it is like a show I connect with more, I really wanted to like the OA. I like weird science fiction TV. Um, and I, I actually can't talk about what the show is really about. Um, First of all, because I would sound like an idiot, because it, it is, it's not, it's kind of out there. You kind of have to watch it in context, and it's kind of a spoiler, too. But yeah, the, I think the show doesn't really give us much for the characters. Kind of goes all over the place. Um, I like the way it shifts tone. That's kind of a brave thing, I think. But also, sometimes it feels like you're wasting our time. And I, I may have said this before, but I think the thing I hate the most about some TV shows is when you're wasting our time. Like, that's one thing I can't stand. 
the OA does feel like something that can only exist on Netflix. And it almost seems like it's made for people who are just like second screening the same time all the time. Right. And I wonder if that's part of it. You know, like if it's if it's a show you're only half watching, if you're like on your phone or on a tablet or something, you're like, oh, oh, stuff is happening. Oh, you know, plot point or something. If you're not actually paying attention to everything and maybe how things aren't quite connected or how the plot doesn't come together, uh, you know, then the shows may seem better than they actually are. And uh, I have to say, when I finish this show, I I don't mind if there's no conclusion or if there's no, like, real answers, but the way they presented one of the final sequences for this show is one of the dumbest things I've ever seen on television. I've heard the finale is pretty rough. It is. It's not just rough. It is laughable. Yeah. It is like uh, unintentionally laugh laughable. It is a student I mean, yeah. film gone bad with a big budget. <laughs> it is yeah, it's all over the place. And honestly, it's kind of disgusting too because I can't even mention what happens. But they pull a very dramatic thing, like a really dramatic situation that could happen in a school. And I I just thought to myself like fuck you guys. Like you didn't earn this. <laughs> Don't do this. Like it you know, if you're going to build up to this, build up to it, but justify it. Give us a reason. Um so yeah, that was pretty much the point where I checked out and that was the end of the season. So, yeah, that's it. Yeah, I I read about the finale and it seemed pretty offensive, but uh I have yeah. not watched it yet because I just yep. there's just no way I can imagine liking the show. <laughs> that being said, Peter Sreda is a fan. He's written a great article about it at slashfilm.com. Um but Devendra didn't like the show either. Uh, and watch since eight. Yeah, in my opinion, that says something. All right. Well, uh, only other thing we wanted to mention before we get to our review of Silence is uh, the Golden Globes were this week, and I thought the broadcast was okay. Jimmy Fallon cracking jokes about Donald Trump—not a good look for him, given that uh, you know some would argue, including me, that he helped to uh, normalize Trump by having uh-huh. him on the show, uh, but. Yeah, I think that uh, a few things we want to mention about the Golden Globes. Uh, Like I said, broadcast is okay. Meryl Streep gave a really uh, nice speech, I thought, uh, which you've probably seen shared millions of times on Facebook. There were a few surprises. Beautiful speech. A few surprises. Firstly, La La Land is now uh, the film in cinema. Oh, oh, actually, before we get into any of that, we should say that the Golden Globes are an artistically bankrupt uh, ceremony. Like, there's, <laughs> there's nothing like it's it's defined it's decided by the Hollywood Foreign Press Association, which like often makes decisions that are completely nonsensical. It does not. It's like. It's dozens of people, you know. Uh-huh. The Academy is thousands of artists voting, you know, in a very complex voting structure to determine who wins the Oscars. Like, there's some artistic valid- validity to them. But, you know, with Golden Globes, you have crazy-ass shit being nominated and winning awards. So I don't take any of these awards super seriously, but they do play into uh, box office, for example. Like, what a movie can use Go- Golden Globe winning in part of its advertising campaign. You'll probably see Golden Globe winners mentioned on television. So so uh, there is some kind of marketing significance to them, but in terms of like how seriously I take them from an artistic standpoint, not at all. Uh, need to make that clear every single year. That being said, a few surprises. La La Land is now the film in cinema history that's won the most Golden Globes ever. Uh, and for, for you know, I you know, I think La La Land did a lot of things well, but there's some things that it won for that I'm like, really? Specifically, uh, best screenplay? Really, La La Land? Uh, <laughs> Beating out, beating out Moonlight and Manchester by the Sea, really? Yeah. Anyway, kind of uh, mm-hmm. so there, there's a few like weird uh, awards like that. Billy uh, Bob Thornton winning for best performance in uh, Goliath. Yeah, baby. 
was kind of shocking to everyone. Uh, mm, a lot of people thought. Me. Love that show. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then I think a lot of people were really shocked by Aaron, uh, Aaron Taylor Johnson winning for best supporting role in Nocturnal Animals, beating out uh, Mahershala Ali from Moonlight. That was one that people really got pretty upset about. Uh, I thought they both did a great job. I'm just going to put that out there. I thought they both did a great uh, job. Sure. So, uh, and we saw a lot of love for Atlanta and The People vs. O.J. Simpson as well, in addition to La La Land. Viol- Viola Davis won uh, for fence- her performance in Fences, which is really nice. And Isabel Huppert winning Best Actress for Elle. That was a big surprise as well. But she did do a, a pretty good job in that film. Yeah, that, was pretty, that, that makes sense. Pretty yes. brave performance in Elle. Uh, and a lot of people were really excited to see Elle get some love because I, I think it's been uh, – it won Best Motion Picture in Foreign Language because I think it's been excluded from the uh, Oscars, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, really? Yeah, like I don't, I don't think it's going to be nominated or something. Like that. Uh, I, I don't I don't recall. Like I got to look into that a little bit more. That's my bad. But um, anyway, people were really psyched that L uh, got some love at uh, at the Golden Globes. Anything else, uh, Jeff or Davindra, that you want to mention? Zootopia beating Moana and Kubo. Mm, yeah, best, best animated. Best animated. Yep. I mean, I like that. I like that Zootopia. It's a good movie, but. Uh, well, I mean, and Kubo? I, I think it also. You're forgetting it also beat out My Life as a Zucchini. As well as Sing, Jeff. Yeah, which how we all know Sing. Yeah, I wonder all... if they've even seen all the movies in these categories. Like that's <laughs> yeah, that's kind of my bigger concern every time I hear about the Golden Globes. Um, yeah, I don't have much else to say except for that oh, the the Hidden Fences uh, gaffe by one reporter. That's a that's a rough one. Yeah, yeah. pretty rough. Uh, but yeah, uh, Moonlight won for best drama. And that's uh, a, a great way to cap off the evening. So mm-hmm. uh, overall. Uh, other than you know La La Land being a juggernaut, which I think you should have won for a bunch of things. I don't know if it should have won like all the awards, uh, but overall, I think uh, this is a decent set of winners. Like, there's nothing, very few things here that I'm like that's atrocious, except for maybe any love for the Night Manager. Which here's the thing where Devendra and I disagree on. I thought that show was <laughs> awful, and Devendra. Uh. I uh, I couldn't look. get through it either, yeah. but I do think Hugh Laurie in it is really good. Yeah, I mean he is he's yeah. really good. That's true. He is pretty good in that show. I, Hugh Laurie's great. He's, it's one of those things. It's a slow spy thriller. It's like Tinker Taylor. I loved it, yeah. and I remember you not loving it, Dave. Yeah, my reasons for not liking you know Night Manager are a lot different. I thought I thought it was a lot more melodramatic than Tinker Taylor was. But yeah. anyway, we got to move on because we only have. 30 minutes to review Silence, which is not enough time, but we're going to do the best we can. Before we get to our review of Silence, we got to thank all the people who donated to Slash Filmcast in the last couple weeks. Uh, People who subscribed at the rate of $2 per month. Daniel C., Bashir E., Jeffrey E., Orange Bike Labs, Eric Schick, Darren Fix, Joe Cabello, Matthew Sheeran, Joshua Peak. And Matt Sandy, who also donated uh, in a lump sum as well. Raymond Linares and Patrick Hefner. Thanks so much for subscribing at the rate of $2 per month. Thanks also to Anthony P., Philip S., Isaac Wexler Mann, Anthony P., James R. from Sukasuna, New Jersey, Leon W. from Cologne, Germany, Matthew S. from Philadelphia, uh, Philadelphia for his generous donation, and Bashir E., who gave a generous donation and also wrote this note. Uh, quote from Bashir, For as long as I can remember, I've enjoyed talking about movies with friends as long as I've enjoyed watching them. But over the years, I've seen those discussions and even some of those friendships dwindle, creating a very real hole in my life. Along came the Slash Filmcast. I was introduced uh, by Jeff when he became a regular host. Since then, I've regularly enjoyed your intelligent, insightful, and entertaining discussions. Whenever I see a movie, I check on whether it was ever covered on the Slash Filmcast. If it has, I know that I will especially enjoy my commute or chores hearing you share your thoughts on the film with me. I look forward to hearing your views, your 
laughter and even to your disagreements as I would with any good friends. In that light, my donation is incredibly modest. Thank you for producing the Slash Homecast with high regards, Bashir. Thank you, um, Bashir. Such a nice note. Yes. And honestly, that is why uh, we created the Slash Homecast is because uh, uh, like a lot of conversations you have about movies with your friends, I, not probably not you, Jeff, but like for me at least in my life, and I say not you, Jeff, because you have a lot of like cool movie people in your life. Um, <laughs> but you know, like for me, uh, most people don't enjoy talking about movies for an hour. You know, and uh, one of the reasons we started this podcast is so hopefully uh, it gives you an outlet to at least listen to people talking about it for an hour and uh, and hopefully enjoy it. So thanks to everyone who donated. If you want to throw some money our way and help us uh, defray the cost of seeing movies and putting on the show, go to slashfilm.com. Use the slash filmcast tab and click on the PayPal links on the side of the page. We'd really appreciate any money you can donate to us. Let's get to our review of Silence. Ferreira is lost to us. He denounced God in public and surrendered the faith. That's not possible. Father Ferreira risked his life to spread our faith all over Japan. It seems to me that our mission here is more urgent than ever. We must go find Father Ferreira. This is in your hearts, then, both of you. Yes. And I must trust God has put it down. The moment you set foot in that country, you step into high danger. This week, I saw a 2016 film in which Andrew Garfield played a Christian character with an accent who must rely on his faith in order to strengthen him while extreme, brutal, and gruesome violence goes on around him perpetrated by savage Japanese people. But enough about Hacksaw Ridge, guys. Man. I thought you were going (laughs) (laughs) Spider-Man. Boom goes the dynamite. (laughs) Let's talk about silence. Uh, according to the plot summary on IMDb, in the 17th century, two Jesuit priests face violence and persecution when they travel to Japan to locate their mentor and propagate Catholicism. As I mentioned earlier, this film stars Andrew Garfield and Adam Driver and Liam Neeson. So, guys, took uh, Martin Scorsese decades to get the story into the screen. Uh, Scorsese is a well-known Catholic. Uh, in many ways, it seems like he's working out his own faith in this movie. Uh, but... Yeah, you know, I'm. I'm curious. Like, I, my experience of watching this movie, I'm guessing, is going to be pretty different from someone who didn't grow up uh, going to church every Sunday. Uh-huh. And so, uh, uh, Jeff, I, I don't know what your faith story is. Like, uh, have you ever like spent massive quantities of your life in church? Uh, and if not, like, what was your experience seeing silence? Well, I I went to Christian school until fourth grade and uh, raised with very Italian Catholic grandparents. My parents, my actual parents, uh, were not re- very religious, not religious at all. And I was not raised religious. I I am I at the risk of offending anybody. I I'm pretty anti-religion. Um, and so I, it's an interesting experience seeing silence because um, I look at religion from afar with uh, a, a lot of um, curiosity. I mean it's an interesting thing as a historical entity that has influenced uh, so much of human history and I find it fascinating. But the intricacies of faith and the idea of faith um, I find frankly um, – What's the word I want to use to not offend people? Uh, I, I 
I, I don't take much stock in 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 it. Uh, I'm a man that values uh, provable fact. So, um, this movie is is certainly exquisite, uh, just lovingly made. Uh, here are two notable movie stars. You know, it's Kylo Ren and Spider Man. And yet, at no point in this movie did I not completely buy that I was in 1642 or whatever it was. Uh, it, it, it feels grounded and authentic. It feels like watching a historical document in a lot of ways. And that's no easy task to do with movie stars. Uh, it is a gritty, brutal, realistic take on what these people went through for their faith. Uh, I, I'm going to have a lot to say in spoilers, I think. Hopefully we'll have time for that. But I admire this movie a lot. I didn't it, – its themes didn't resonate with me, especially in the sense that it it really comes down firmly on one side yeah. in my opinion, which I find to the movie's detriment. I, I think it would be much more interesting if it – if it raised these interesting questions and then didn't have an opinion about them uh, because I found myself agreeing with the Japanese quite often. <laughs> and, and to the movie's credit, it presents the Japanese uh, position in this, in this conflict uh, even-handedly, I think, until you know, a certain point it kind of comes down on one side. But um, I, you know, I, I really enjoyed this movie from a – uh, a view of living history, a feeling of like, oh my gosh, this, the conditions, the things that human beings went through, re- regardless of religious or not religious, human beings lived like this. And, you know, in some parts of the world still live like this. Uh, and I found that to be compelling and ultimately worthwhile as a viewing experience. But the religious aspect, it got a little heavy handed at the end. And I wish it had had a lighter touch and just raised interesting questions and allowed me to have more agency in how I, I decided, uh, you know, I felt about it. All right. How about you, Devendra? Uh, and any, any brief words on your faith before you, uh, get into your opinion. I mean, I've talked about this before. My family is Hindu and it's, uh, you know, that's a culture I still respect greatly, uh, because it's ties into a lot of what my family does. But yeah, when I was a teenager, I realized that um, any religion really wasn't for me. So I, I've been like, you know, wavering between agnostic and atheist for a while. At this point, I consider myself a staunch atheist. And um, I, I really enjoy stories about religion, though, because as somebody who studied philosophy, um, I'm really intrigued by belief and our capacity for belief and what it makes us do. Uh, it's a very human thing. It's a uniquely human thing. So, yeah, I, I'm still interested in religious stories for those sorts of reasons. And this movie, um, I, I think the best parts of this movie are those questions. Like there's some great discussions and debates about, you know, what it means to bring a foreign religion into a land like Japan and what right do, you know, the Christian missionaries have to do that and how it affects the Japanese. Um, all those discussions are great, I think. Um, but the first half of this movie is a really interesting setup that just feels like we are we are just meandering for a while. It felt like it was listless and didn't really go anywhere, um, even though I can tell what it's trying to do, right? It's trying to give us this sort of fish-out-of-water story of these two uh, priests, uh, them trying to deal with a foreign land and try to find like a, a way for them to survive there as they search for Ferreira. And, uh, you know, a lot of that just felt exhausting after a while. Like, I don't know... 
it was beautiful, but there wasn't much of a narrative or motivational hook for me. And then it gets to a point where they introduce a bunch more Japanese actors, right? The uh, the leader of that area, um, a translator, and um, somebody else as well. Like the uh, the the funny guy that's always around them as well. Kichiro. Uh, Kichiro. Kichijiro. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he's sort of like I think, yeah. He, he's the one who, funny guy who you don't know if you can ever quite trust. So I, between those actors, I think we get a really interesting examination of what these people um, in Japan, what it means for them to come into Japan. Uh, but I wish we got more of that. I think the movie is mostly it's focused on the story of these missionaries and how they are trying to survive in Japan, and it does raise some interesting questions about like the. I don't know, the cost of their missionary work, you know, like um, you want to bring your face somewhere. But when people are literally dying to protect it, um, who are they really dying for? Are they even really following the same faith you are? Things like that. I think the movie asks those questions really well. Uh, But yeah, I wish uh, it seems like it could have been tightened up a little more. And I really wish there was more going on on the Japanese side of things, because I think uh, after a certain point, uh, there are a lot of scenes of torture and uh, insanity in this movie. But I think for a vast majority of it, too, it's like I I don't really disagree with why the Japanese are like, hey, dudes, cut it out. Like, get get this stuff out of, out of our country. And uh, it, it, that it's kind of interesting to me. This yeah. is totally fascinating, guys. It's totally fascinating to hear your opinion on this. Let, let me say a couple things. Firstly, I... We are not going to have enough time to cover this movie. I'm just uh-huh. going to put that out there today. Sorry, we ran long in the earlier segments. Uh, we need to go at around like the one hour, 45 minute mark for this podcast. So sorry about that. Uh, that being said, uh, why don't we get to spoilers pretty quickly uh, so we can talk freely about this movie. I'll just say that uh, as someone who grew up in church and whose faith is a little bit more complicated now, uh, I thought the movie was a pretty interesting exploration of – uh, yeah, like you said, Jeff, like this period of time in like society when people were treating each other this way over their beliefs and what they were willing to do to each other because of those beliefs and why they were willing to do those things. And the movie explores that stuff in really interesting ways. But ultimately – and so also, can you say of any Martin Scorsese film, hey, just stay home and watch it on video on demand? Right. The right. answer is no. Yeah. You yeah. cannot. See you must go see yeah. this in the theater. Because yeah, uh, you always, quote-unquote, get your money's worth with Martin Scorsese movies. Like, it's always a movie that it's, like, incredibly shot. Like, the production design is amazing. Uh, and the cinematography, and, yeah. And there's, there's some sequences that I'm just like, I have no idea how they did that. You know, like, right. it's yes. so amazingly done. And um, it's also a, one of the most, I think, uh, fragile movies to that could be affected by having a second screen in your lap. Right. <laughs> like yes. To, yes. The idea that you could turn to a cell phone or an iPad in your lap while watching this movie is is just appalling because mm-hmm. it is a movie that that would probably lead one to do that at, at a certain point and the fact that you can't really helps the, really helps the experience. It demands your focus. Like this movie right. doesn't even have a score, I believe. Yeah, right? I, I don't remember hearing any score in the film. So yeah. So anyway, uh, go see it in the theater because it is – anytime Martin Scorsese makes a movie these days, it's worth going to check out for that reason alone. I will say though ultimately uh, I agree – I don't agree with Devendra uh, about the first half of this movie and I'll explain why in the spoilers. Um, but I thought the first half moved along nicely. I, I agree with you guys that I think the, the message of the movie 
for me, I found it very problematic. And mm-hmm. uh, I also found some of the casting decisions to be pretty, pro- pretty problematic as well. And ultimately, I am very ambivalent about this movie because I'm very torn. I'm very tortured about this movie because while I think it's a great work of art and while I think, wow, you need to be an insane genius uh-huh. to make a movie like this, like go out into the middle of wherever. Mm-hmm. I think they shot it in Taiwan actually. Uh, hmm. Interesting enough, it's so but, personal. Like you can feel yeah, that yeah, his blood and sweat is in all of this. Movie. Exactly, it just it looks like an incredibly challenging movie to make. Perhaps not as difficult as The Revenant, but close, mm-hmm. close to how difficult that movie was to make. Uh, it takes an insane genius with unbelievable determination and will to go out and get a movie like this made. Uh, and for that reason alone, oh, go see it. It's it's an amazing experience. But there's so many problems with the messages of this movie with with the ultimate feeling that I take away from it mm-hmm. that I just don't know if I end up liking the movie very much. So those are my overall thoughts. Uh, anything else before we get to spoilers? If not, let's, let's dive in right away. Um, so spoilers for Silence starting right now. Now you're looking for the secret. Can I see this coming? No. But you won't find it because, of course... You're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret. You want to be fooled. So, as a person who grew up in an incredibly devout Christian environment, I, I, I think it's very easy to not understand the urgency of uh, what these guys are doing. You know? Right. Uh, like, but I think the film does a good job. Oh, and it's an amazing job at, at communicating at, that. At communicating that urgency, right? And yeah, because I, of the, the Japanese people's Yes, that's what love, the, that the is reverence. the function of the first half of the film, in my opinion. Yeah, is, yeah I get it that. It tries to like convey to you how much these people need the message of God. And... Uh, you know, for for these Christians, it's like it's it's a very challenging idea. This idea that hey, you have within you this message that if people could hear it and understand it, you know, our time on Earth is nothing. It is but one grain of sand among an entire beach, and everyone is going to live eternally. And uh, if you give them this message, then their eternal existence will be with God in heaven. And if you don't. They will suffer horribly for eternity. And nothing is more important than getting that message to those people. Literally nothing at all. Right, like if, right. they, if they die, that is okay because it means that they'll spend their lives in heaven. Because uh, for, for eternity, eternity, yeah. which is an incomprehensible amount of time for humans. And I, um, I like that the movie actually kind of tries to tackle that because the Japanese who have no – I, like the Japanese leaders, right? In no way. Played by Issei Ogata, by the way, who is a great actor. He's actually um, more of a comedian in Japan. So, like, he is, he, you could see that. Like, when he's yeah. just trying to get up. in this like, movie. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. a little funny while also being, like, the guy in charge. Um, he has these conversations where it's like, hey, guys, like, we, nothing personal, you know? It's <laughs> yeah. just like, don't, get out. what you're doing, you're causing this. You are causing all these things to happen. So I like the push and pull of that, of the of the so priests, good. like, yeah, basically dealing with the fact that they're causing a lot of these issues. And if they just kind of stopped doing certain things, like if they just stopped, uh, these people wouldn't be dying. Right. Um, or get, it, it is. For, yeah. It, it's about well, the function of like fundamentalism. Right. For, Do you believe in your belief so much that 
other people's lives are at risk now. Like, is that is that how important these things are for you? And I get that. I totally get that. I wish the movie had done more to be like, hey, why is Christianity a better thing than like Buddhism or, you know, Shintoism or other like the things that the Japanese had at the time, too? Um, Like, it's a really interesting way to portray, you know, those Japanese Christians as sort of um, like an underclass that has to hide. That's a really interesting story. That's something we haven't really seen conveyed very much, too, in films. Like this story, I don't think has been. Actually, no, there there is uh, there is a older film. Uh, okay. called Silence that is uh, based on the same book. So there okay. is another okay. version of Silence out there. I just, yeah. I have not is, seen it. It's but, not yeah. something I've seen very yeah. much. And it's not something we refer to a lot. So I found that It is very different it's, than this movie, apparently. Yeah. So just put I just, I, I found that interesting. I, it's, it, when you're bringing up big philosophical ideas like this, I feel like you have to, you have to back it up, right? You have to have your arguments in line. And yeah. I don't think this movie quite does. It brings up a lot of interesting things at times, but sort of like, why would the Japanese, you know, uh, really adopt to this and put their lives in danger well, for this? Yeah. The, the heartbreaking thing is, is seeing that the, the answer to that question is because their lives are awful. And here's mm-hmm. a religion that says there's something else after this. That's paradise. Uh, over and over and over, they say, right, we're, going right, to, we're right. going to paradise, right? All I got to do is like uh, give you a couple of high fives and touch your <laughs> sigil and I, we're going to paradise. We, we got to get to paradise because here is awful. Uh, <laughs> our lives are shit. So I don't gotta, think the this, movie quite conveyed that. No, I think it did. I, I think it did. I, that their lives that's what shit. I got out of it. Yeah. That's, that's, the, that's the most striking. They were, I mean, it mostly, unless the only really shitty parts were the, was the, like relentless persecution of anybody who's Christian. But I mean, like, just in terms of what the, you know, peasants are dealing with, I think the movie assumes that, oh, man, look at these guys going to this foreign land and everything must suck there and we have to make it better. I almost wonder if the movie assumes the sort of like dogmatic missionary message that the Padres had. The biggest problem that I have, uh, you know, we're, we're firmly in spoilers, and, and the biggest problem that I have is that the central metaphor for this movie is the title, right? Silence. And that <laughs> question of like, I do all of this for my, my God, my deity, and all I get in return is silence. And how do I deal with that? How do I see this kind of suffering? And how do I dedicate my life to doing the things that I know this God wants me to do? And yet, in my darkest time, in my neediest moments of of pure agony, what do I get in return? I get silence. That is such a compelling, mm-hmm. you know, uh, it, it's the question of religion. It's the central question of religion. You know, why does God allow bad things to happen? Why, when I pray to Him, do, does He not answer my prayer? Why is why is all that I get silence? I mean, I have my own opinions, but. The, the thing that made me actively angry is that the movie chooses to give voice to God. Uh-huh. Yep, and he, yeah. he, he – the movie it has Jesus speak to our central character. Although and you I, can interpret that in a lot of ways, right? Because that was after exhaustion and torture and a lot of yeah, things. Yeah, like you he's could. Like that and point yet, where he sees Jesus' face in the water, that feels like a hallucination because he is going mad at that point. Right, but I found that moment very different from, uh-huh. hey, it's cool, bro. Right, Just right, chill right. out. I'm here with you. It's good. There's yeah. no need to worry about the silence because I'm talking to you right now. It's a now. very Joan of Arc thing, yeah. It, yeah. it really, really bothered me. I agree. And I agree. It, it, I think it undercut the entire interesting question uh, yeah. that that it, the movie builds itself around from title to 
theme because you know, it feels like at that point it feels like at that point that the movie is taking a position yes on yes. whether god is real right right and, and this specific and god whether is real. yeah and whether this is like a worthwhile thing that they're doing mm-hmm. right uh and for me ultimately like and, and it's I, a cop out it's a cop out because it it lets our central character off the hook right he he doesn't have to have those questions anymore because there's a solid answer to them right it's like oh it, there isn't silence fucking god is talking to you so yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah, if, he, if if that was a little more open ended, I guess it would be more interesting, right? Like the the last shot of the movie kind of pissed me off in a way, or kind of annoyed yeah, me. Like it, yeah. it is taking definitely taking a side. And then there's the uh, the final card too, like to all the you know Japanese Christians too. It's like oh oh okay, yeah. so yeah. that's that's why you made this movie, I guess. Um, yeah, yeah it, I, I agree. Like, like I, I saw a lot of discussion online saying, "Oh, the movie doesn't take a side." You know, like maybe it comes out against the Jesuits. I never got that. I, I right, always right. felt like the movie was on the side of the Jesuits and their agonizing and their pain and like what they're going through. And yeah, religion is tough. Missionary work is tough. But ultimately, with that last shot, it's like, hey, what these people were doing was worthwhile. And even though the world fucked them over, it was a worthwhile activity. And uh, look at how brave and heroic Andrew Garfield's character is. He got to maintain his faith even through to the end, despite stupefyingly terrible odds. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, so for me, the movie came down firmly on the side of of, uh, of the, the Jesuits. And I don't think there's any question about that. I, I really don't. I, I was, there is tons of debate about that right. on like I, in critic I'm circles. I'm surprised yeah. to yeah. hear that in that moment, having not really known uh, anything about this movie going in. I, there, there's a moment toward the end where uh, Kichichiro asks yet again to be absolved of his sins, to pray with mm-hmm. him. And I thought, oh my God, here we're going to have this moment where he says, no, I'm not going to do it. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. And I thought that would be such a powerful thing in the context of a movie. But the movie isn't interested in that. It's interested in just reinforcing the fact that this Jesuit faith is worthwhile. And so mm-hmm. – it, it it completely lets all of the characters off the hook in the but sense. I, I like the internal dialogue in that scene, right? Because he's saying no, like how do I how do I save this wretch, you know? And but he does it anyway. So that conflict is what the movie is really about, right? Thinking one thing but doing another. But I agree. Like later on, the movie feels like it lets him off the hook completely. Let me also just say this, guys, uh, and I'm I'm going to try to keep this discussion to a very minimum amount in this episode mm-hmm. so we've been talking about this for like you know 20 minutes i'm gonna try to keep this to 90 seconds at most <laughs> uh but jen yamato wrote an article that like expresses much better what i'm about mm-hmm. to say and you should just read that article and then like that I-, I basically agree with pretty much you know everything in this article which is entitled uh silence scorsese's flawed frustrating white savior tries to save japan from itself uh and this is at the daily beast i'll put a link in the show notes but basically, uh, and I'll read the, the subhead here, is uh, Scorsese's latest follows a Jesuit priest preaching the gospel to persecuted Japanese Christians, but is far more concerned with his agony than that of the other. Now, I talked about being torn about this movie. Hey, uh, there's more Asian characters in the first 10 minutes of this movie than there are in the entirety of The Wolf of Wall Street. Well, sure. And you have Asian yeah. actors who are getting screen time. They get to work with a master Martin Scorsese, they get you know a wide release movie, um, and I'm in support of all those things. I wish that uh, there were like that the primary function of Asian characters in this film is 
to either uh, have their suffering serve as motivation for uh, the non-Asian characters, mm-hmm. uh, like Father Rodriguez, who is Portuguese, who's played by a British actor, by the way, uh, or to be cartoonishly evil. Like, those are the primary two functions. Now, there are a couple of exceptions to that, and I do feel like, hey, the exceptions are, do really help things. Specifically, the translator character you guys talked about. And yeah. K- played by just- Tadanobu Asano, by the way, who is... Always great. Like, yes. great in everything. He yeah. is Interpreter. His name is Interpreter in the movie. He doesn't even really have a name. And also uh, Kijichiro. Uh, and those are, like, fairly... Uh, I, I don't know if they're complex characters, but they're, they're interesting. interesting. They're interesting yeah, like, characters. Yeah. Kijichiro is, like, the Judas of all of this, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So they're interesting characters. Um, but, you know, most of the Asian characters here, they exist to suffer so mm-hmm. that uh, the white person in the main role, can be agonized over what to do in this situation. Right. Uh, and, yeah, it kind of rubs me a little bit the wrong way, but ultimately, like, th- this movie also does good things for uh, Asian, and in this case, Japanese roles in film. And so, you know, like, there's good things and bad things, and I just feel the need to acknowledge that, but it does really bother me, like, that the mm-hmm. uh, the white people are the center of the story. Like, when you're talking about the, uh, the last, uh, you know, this is dedicated to all the Japanese missionaries. Really? You know, because... That's not what the movie is about. You know what I mean? It's about... Well, well, was it dedicated about, to the missionaries or to the Japanese Christians? Yeah, the Japanese Christian... I'm sorry, the Japanese uh, like uh, pastors, right? I think it was... Okay. No, like Christian. Yeah, I think oh, it was just... Just, just, just generically who, Japanese Christians. Yeah, so cool. it, it was so. dedicated to the Japanese, though, but just the Christian ones. So Right, but also yeah. it's like... That's not what the movie's about. The movie's about right, the right. agony of... Uh, Adam Driver's character and Andrew Garfield's character. Mm-hmm. You know, it's about the, uh, the like all the trials, the the mental anguish that these guys are going through. And uh, for a lot of it, the Asian characters just serve as kind of props, you know, or they're mm-hmm. like really, really evil uh, to the point where I was like borderline yeah. uncomfortable sometimes with how evil they were. A so, lot of them were car- like early on. It's mostly like cartoonish villagers too, and there's the definite like. Oh man, these guys are dirty, and you know they, <laughs> right. they don't. Yeah, they don't look as clean and as made up as the Europeans coming in. Which I, the, honestly, that was maybe a little more annoying because it seemed to that was like a class judgment right there. Um, I but, haven't, but, but there, there are yeah. scenes in that earlier segment where hey, he's bringing the gospel to these villagers, and mm-hmm. as someone who, who who grew up in church and who like has been taught, you got to get out there, you got to spread the gospel. These people need it. Uh, and seeing these people just desperate to have that the word of God in their life uh, was actually very moving to me. Mm-hmm. And uh, you see, like the, the, these people's needs is real, uh, and and that there's something incredibly powerful about this gospel message to be willing to. The, these villagers are putting their life and limb in peril, right? By believe, like I, it's just you have to believe in it so much to yeah. be willing to risk getting tortured to death. Uh, to do it, and so the, the, yeah, the movie a powerful shows that. thing. Yeah, it's it's, it's, it's a powerful thing. Powerful. But you know, I, I, this is going to sound very cynical at, because it is. But um, from my perspective, you know, it, the the Japanese argument is is a is a pretty compelling one. It's you know, you're yeah. trying to get more customers in our land, <laughs> and you've come here with we don't want your product. You're, you're you're on our territory. You were uninvited. Why are you converting people to to your product and stealing away from our product right. without you know asking us? First? But the, Christ, the Christian view, yeah. right? And I'm sure you guys know this is mm-hmm. all other perspectives are wrong. 
Well, yeah, no, that's and, what he says. It, yeah, clearly yeah. in the movie is it's truth. It's not – it has nothing to do with yeah. you or me. It's just the fact that I have to tell the truth, which I find to be – that 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 to me would is the, the basis of a very compelling narrative is mm-hmm, how, mm-hmm. Do, how do those two ideas butt up against each other? And this movie touches on that a bunch of times. And for that, I was completely intrigued and on the edge of my seat. And I loved those conversations because they didn't play the Japanese in those moments as uh, – uh, you know, uh, mustache twirling villains. They played them with legitimate a legitimate position, and then to have the movie completely undercut that it, it, later on by just making one side, you know, objectively correct, really bothered me because yeah. it it just not even from a historic or religious perspective, just from a, a storytelling perspective, it right. just makes the movie less good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It I, feels like a cop out, basically. And uh, what what I love about those Japanese, like the the conversations with the Japanese uh, leader with Inoue and everybody, is uh, they at one point bring up like, you know, we could coexist, right? There there could be both ideas, but that that's fundamentally incompatible with the Christian worldview. Yeah, like you yeah. can't have both, and that's that's the root of the problem. I wish the movie had explored more of that. You know? Yeah. So anyway, I do think this movie has problems with. Uh, the way it uses the Japanese characters and, you know, the fact that there mm-hmm. is some amount of whitewashing going on with the, uh, the main roles. Uh, but uh, like I said, I'm torn about this movie. There's also some real mm-hmm. – and je- everything you said, I agree with er- both of you guys. Er- everything you said about the problems of this movie, uh, I- I'm glad we all agree that I- – I-, I agree this movie comes down on the side of Christianity. Like it's, it's very mm-hmm. clear. I don't think that's um, even a dispute. Yeah, but uh, like the, the, last, it, with- the last 20 minutes – Essentially, right? yeah, like, yeah, is where yeah. that message comes across. And with and, Liam Neeson's character, also, I thought that was that that interaction where he, you know, is we have that first conversation where he clearly seems conflicted, and he kind of knows that he's undercutting this this guy's entire mm-hmm. <laughs> reason for being. You know, he's kind of completely uh, attacking this dude's uh, soul, and he feels conflicted about that. I didn't have a problem with that, but then you get this wonderful conversion moment where he convinces him to step on the image of Jesus Christ, right? Mm-hmm. That scene was so powerful and so incredible to me. I, I wanted the movie to end in that slow motion moment where he lands on the, yeah. the thing. I just like end the movie right there. That would be brilliant. But then it undercuts that too because then it shows us Liam Neeson kind of like I've secretly – you know, because now we're like, you know, judging whether uh, Christian stuff is being smuggled into the country. Right, right. I've secretly been a Christian the whole time rather than show, saying, oh, no, this guy like made some really d- distinct points about the life that he's leading, about the horrors that they brought to all those people, about having a really genuinely happy life with a new wife and a new land. Like all of that stuff I found to be in that beautiful shades of gray area of like, oh my mm-hmm. gosh, I don't, I'm, I'm challenged to decide how I think about yeah. it. But yeah. then the movie goes, no, 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 he's been a secret Christian the whole time. He really hates it. Yep. It's like, okay, yep. well, that's just not as good a movie. What, what mm-hmm. moment, in your opinion, did that for you when he, the, he's a secret Christian the whole time? Oh, he, you know, he gets up and walks. Oh, that last moment with Liam Neeson, right, where he gets up and walks away, and there, I can't remember the exact line, but he says something to him, and then he responds with like, he he said, "Our God" or something like that. Remember? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When he, he's like, uh, "Well, they 
I don't remember the line, but the it's something will of God or something like that. Yeah, the the our God, you know, they can't bring this stuff from our God or whatever. And he's like, our God, and then Liam Neeson like looks at him slyly and walks away. It's like, oh yeah, he's a, he's a fucking Jesuit the whole time. It is. You know, it's like he pulled a uh, you know Colin Farrell in Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Him. <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah, it's Johnny. He was Johnny Depp the whole time. Dude. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, I, I I agree with uh, with a lot of what you guys mm-hmm. are saying and. And I think that the implications of it are also really bothersome to me because uh, because if the movie ultimately comes out on the side of, hey, what these people were doing was a worthy thing, right? What these people were doing is a worthy thing. It's just the world that messed them up, right? The world that forced them into this horrible situation. Uh, the, the real ending, if you extend that out a couple hundred years, right, you get a situation yeah. where – uh, evangelical Christianity has become a major force in politics in America, and often for ill, often taking steps that I think actually move our society not in the right direction. Uh, and for me, knowing what's happened, knowing that you know eighty percent of white evangelicals voted for Donald Trump, uh, and like what that what does that even mean? You know, like why why would how how is Donald Trump compatible with the views of uh, Christianity and Jesus in the mm-hmm. Bible? Like it's not how how that has been kind of distorted in such a way. Like basically, what I'm saying is knowing the real life ending of this story, uh, it, it made it difficult for me to to process the movie and and enjoy the film for the message that he was trying to get across. Right? Mm-hmm. Because it would be like. You know, I, I don't. I don't know. I, I don't want to come up with a very impolitic uh, example, but basically, just like, hey, this movie is rooting for this thing that ultimately has done a lot of horrible things in society. Right. And right. some some critics are, are saying, no, well, it it, uh, it actually it actually says that the Jesuits are bad, and I just I don't buy that based on everything you guys have said, and and based on how the movie ended, and based on like the fact that you hear Jesus' voice, and there's all these things in the movie that make it feel like, hey. Um, this movie does think that these people are doing a worthwhile thing. Uh, so anyway, yeah, I, I think instead of like giving us a, a natural progression of like a character's faith, it does feel like we're seeing Martin Scorsese wrestle with his own faith, you know, on screen. And yeah, yeah, maybe yeah. it kind of settles there for him after a certain point too. I, I will I, say I uh, one thing I do want to point out that I really loved is the Kijijiro character. Uh, mm-hmm, I know I'm butchering mm-hmm. his name, but I, I was so moved at their first conversation when he's talking about how like he didn't have enough faith and his he saw he watched his family die and i was like oh my gosh what a powerful moment and then for the movie to like undercut that idea again and again by having him like continue to run away and not or not you know not do what he's supposed to do um he's like my that whole concept of that character is my favorite thing about the movie right so, right right want to no, just give good. a shout out another shout out i mean I, i'm kind of glad he didn't have his big uh, yeah, a redemptive arc in a yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. it it's makes it more more interesting. I think. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. all right. Well, those are our thoughts on Silence, a complicated movie, a movie we have a lot of complicated thoughts on. Yeah. But ultimately- have you guys seen uh, Kundun? By the way, mm-hmm. no, yes. I haven't. That's I probably have. a good one to watch to follow up with this because just it's really good. Yeah, that's Scorsese's uh, movie about the Dalai Lama, I believe, or a young Dalai or, uh, Lama. Last Temptation of Christ as well is probably also yeah. So pretty, all good ones. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, stay tuned to hear what we'll be reviewing next week. Uh, you can find more episodes of this podcast at slashfilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Uh, our theme song was written by adamwarrock.com. Uh, when we do the Slash Film Court, uh, that music is written by simonmharris.com. 
And uh, yeah, in the meantime, Devendra Hardware, where can you find more of your work on the internet this week? Oh, you can find me on Twitter at, at Devendra, and I write about techandgadget.com. How about you, Jeff Kanata? I'm at Jeff Kanata with two N's and one T. And I have uh, two other shows for you to check out a video game show called DLC, which you can find at 5x5.tv slash DLC, and a comedy science show called We Have Concerns, and that's at wehaveconcerns.com. And find my newest podcast, genpopshow.com. Uh, it's called Gen Pop. It's about pop culture on a weekly basis. Uh, I'm doing it with Joanna Robinson, so check it out, genpopshow.com. And uh, that's all for this week. Next week, what are we going to be reviewing? We're going to be reviewing Hidden Figures. Uh, oh, yeah. Which is a movie that I thought the trailer made it look pretty uh, preachy, but that I've heard the movie is actually pretty good. And also, uh, it is a movie that is actually competitive with uh, Rogue One at the box office. So yep. uh, definitely worth discussing. Hidden Figures, that's what we'll be reviewing next week here on the Slash Filmcast, the official podcast of SlashFilm.com. <laughs>